0: Welcome back, loyal listeners. Alec, Chris, and myself are back after two weeks ago. We're looking for to continue this episode coming out once every two weeks before preseason starts, and this week, if you guys listened all through to the end of the podcast from last week, we just teased a bit about what we're talking about this week, which will be looking at... John Harbaugh and some of the changes that the Ravens are making under Eric DaCosta this year.
1: We'll also talk about the punter situation based off that article from listener Nick. Uh, We'll go ahead and kind of discuss our thoughts on that. And also the Ravens made
0: some news with hiring some analytics individuals for the upcoming season. One of which Alec knows
1: quite well. Oh, I, I, I don't know anything about them. <laughs> oh. I, I just I just of that they are very well respected by a Got guy you. I do know well. Ah, you so made <laughs> it sound
0: like you, you follow this guy and like... Oh, no, we were not good buddies. Well, I just meant like you followed his Twitter
1: or his analytics
0: posts or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I actually want to bring up the analytics side of things when we talk about Mr. Harbaugh, but not to get ahead of ourselves.
0: Yeah, so like I said, what we're going to be looking at this episode is changes the Ravens have made what are the ones they made that were good what are the ones they made that maybe they shouldn't have made and what are some changes that didn't happen that should have so the the big one obviously is John Harbaugh um he is the coach of the Ravens this year but if we go back to the bye week of last season going into that bye week Things were looking like it was going to be more often than not that this may have been Harbaugh's last year.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, after the bye week, you know, we had a what was it a three game skid? At that point, we lost to the Panthers, Steelers, and there was another game in there that I've forgotten, probably because it was such a Saints. bad streak. <laughs> oh, oh man, that was the such impossible a bad year. happened. <laughs> oh yeah, that was really disappointing.
1: Tucker's only missed extra point ever. When I was there, man, the people behind me, they were like, hey, we're going to tie this. It's going to be great. And then the one guy's like, well, Tucker might miss it. You know, it's very rare, but nothing's guaranteed. Yeah. Oh,
0: my heart. (laughs) Um, I was also at that game. I saw that live. It took me about two minutes to process that that was what had happened that's just how automatic that man is. Yeah, and to just see the football do that was shocking.
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was quite something. Oh, I, I think uh, I think Alec and I actually we watched the the Panthers game together actually, and we were <laughs> yeah, we were so sad, pretty disappointed <laughs> in that one too. Yeah, uh, yeah, we didn't have uh, very good luck watching games together last season. No, we did not. But after that, we know uh, we know what happened. Our boy Lamar took over. Alex, uh, Alex favorite, and uh, <laughs> won a bunch of games and ended off the season pretty well, all things considered, I think. It was. However, the surprising part about how Harbaugh's
0: season ended was, I think, that before the end of the season, going into the Chargers game, there were reports leaking out that the Ravens were already in conversation with Harbaugh to extend him, which I found very interesting at the time, obviously the Ravens did go on to win the division and make the playoffs for the first time since 2014. But if not for a forced fumble by peanut and a last second interception by Mosley, you could be looking at the Ravens having ended last year at eight and eight potentially. And then in that case, would we, the Ravens really have wanted to bring back Harbaugh after yet another late season collapse.
2: Yeah, I mean I I definitely think you saw something there with the transition of just kind of rebuilding the offense around Lamar's strengths. Like that was a definite pro in my book. But yeah, to hear the the news of it before the the first Chargers game in the regular season, it, it definitely felt a little early, I think. Would have liked to see, you know, the the seamless transition and a playoff berth. I mean, because you never know, you know, missing the playoffs again, you know, even if you had a good transition, you may not know that, you know, Harbaugh's the guy because you may, you know, you may end up with more you know, eight and eight, seven, nine, nine, seven seasons. And you don't really want that, right? The Ravens started out under
0: Harbaugh, as we'll talk about kind of the pros and cons to keeping Harbaugh with the Ravens. Obviously anyone listening to this podcast knows that Harbaugh's career with the Ravens first five seasons Nothing but success. Ravens make the playoffs each year under Harbaugh, win at least one game in the postseason, win the Super Bowl. And then after that, the Ravens have been kind of mediocre. And would a change in coach have really helped that if the Ravens haven't turned the page? I mean, we'll find out this year, but sometimes a coaching change can help and other times... Not really the case, but <laughs> I think this is a huge
1: year. And candidly, I think Harbaugh was due this year. I think he needs this year to prove that he is the coach for years to come. And I don't think it would have been fair for him to get kicked out last season. Now, I guess in a world where Lamar never starts, Flacco's playing, we miss the playoffs again, that's a different scenario. Right. Right. I think then you could have said something like that, because you're going to go into Lamar time anyways, start fresh, a whole new staff. But I'm actually really happy how it all played out, because I don't think we should be divorcing ourselves from John Harbaugh. I don't think we actually would see a net improvement. Sometimes people want change for the sake of change, and I honestly think the head coach, it's interesting, right? the head coach doesn't really matter nearly as much as the coordinators, the position coaches, the people coming with the schemes. I don't, I mean, I'm not there in the meetings to see, like, how much John is contributing to the schemes against mm-hmm. these uh, other teams. But in reality, they're kind of supposed to just oversee the whole operation and make sure that we're trending in the right direction, which I think goes to one of those cons that we were talking about later on, maybe, of he's really loyal to his guys. That's a good thing and a bad thing. Like we were saying, it's really interesting that Marty Morningwig's not coming back after the extension. We kind of thought maybe that extension was a sign of the regime completely staying. Instead, we're getting Greg Roman to offensive coordinator, which I'm actually really excited about. I'm, I'm done with Marty Ball. I've been done with Marty Ball for quite some time. But <laughs> um, <laughs> this is really interesting. And I think it's a cool question. Do you think that DaCosta or Pashadi? made that a condition of this continued hardball experience. I think probably not, because I know they don't want to tell him how to coach, but
0: you never know. Yeah, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, though, didn't the Ravens offer Marty Morningweg a position to return? He just wouldn't be the offensive coordinator. That's right. Yes, they promoted Greg Roman... I forget what position they offered Marty, but obviously quarterbacks coach, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But I don't think anyone blames morning wake for stepping down, um, after demotion. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk last year that Greg Roman was more influential in designing the game plans and the play calling once Lamar took over. It was obviously night and day with the rushing attack. Once Lamar got in there, and there's a lot of factors in that are involved in that. But first and foremost, was the change in offensive strategy. But yeah, I do agree with you, Alec. I don't think that I think DaCosta and Bisshady do trust Harbaugh enough to let him make that call. Although I'm sure they may have lobbied for it.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. I want to go back for a second, though. One thing you brought up, Alec, about how you know the head coach doesn't have to be the one kind of calling up all the, you know, offensive, defensive plays, right? I mean, you kind of leave that to the the coordinators to kind of figure out the X's knows what you're going to do on game day. I think that's actually pretty important, and it's a good sign for the Ravens that we have a coach who's like that, because I feel like more often than not, the coaches who are, you know, come from really, you know, being really good coordinators don't always turn out to be really good head coaches. And with Harbaugh, I think that's that's kind of where he stands above the, the rest is actually being a really good head coach from a locker room culture building perspective. I would have to say he has to be at least top five, I think, kind of a guy in that regard. So yeah, I think it's interesting
1: in their show notes, you mentioned that you think he's a top five or 10 coach. I'd argue he's higher than that. Candidly, and that's just because even when the Ravens aren't great they are competitive and I think that means something right not many teams can go ahead year after year be relevant put up a fight against big teams make playoffs barely miss playoffs you know that's hard that's really hard in the NFL honestly the NFL is a league that is all about having Good people on rookie contracts. That's a huge part of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's able to prove year after year with the constraints given that he can field a team that's competitive. And I know that's also partially Ozzy's whole mentality of not giving up the farm, but it's still a big deal.
2: I mean, yeah, he's John Harbaugh, of course.
1: <laughs> that's the thing, man. You you can't fire a guy that's going to get immediately hired as a head coach. That's yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Right, he'd be the number one candidate. Everyone wanted him. Yeah, so you can't fire him. Oh yeah, there were so many teams.
2: The Packers fans I know in particular were all all about Harbaugh. You, you definitely can't fire that guy. I mean, you can't, especially knowing who else is on the market. And I, I know the whole process to find Harbaugh was kind of uh, was pretty big for the organization. I mean, no one knew who John Harbaugh was in 2007. Right, diamond in the rough. Yeah, I mean, how are you going to find another guy like that? Certainly, we as fans don't have the insight to know who the next big candidate is going to be. It just can't happen.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, I think that proving that the Ravens did make the right move here with keeping Harbaugh. I do have in the show notes, we we're talking about the Ravens' Ring of Honor inductions that were announced a couple of weeks ago. One of those, um, obviously, we said hello to Nata and the other was uh, Coach Billick. And if you compare Brian Billick when his job was under fire, his past couple, his last few years in Baltimore with Harbaugh, I mean, I think you just got to look at the fact of what you guys just said right there. Brian Billick was obviously not picked up by any teams and hasn't coached in the NFL since the disaster of the 2007 season. But if the R- had decided that. It was time to move on from Harbaugh. The Packers might have, would have been in the running for him. I mean, the Dolphins would have loved to pick him up. There's plenty of teams would have been knocking on Harbaugh's door immediately uh, to get him to coach their team for the upcoming years.
1: And let's talk about why. Like we said, he's a great locker room manager. You don't hear any of the rumors that you hear out of like Steelers Nation, for instance. It seems like a very cohesive locker room. I'm wondering if that has to do with the faith that he brings in. I know that he's a really big believer in everybody on the team having some sort of uh, religious creed. I don't know, but he's able to create this environment, this very definition of a team environment, where everyone is with one another, very little, almost none, honestly, backstabbing or talking down about a player. Everyone's very supportive of one another. It's just a really great environment that I think he's created.
0: I even have in the show notes, you know, <laughs> just compare the anything you've heard coming out of the locker room of the Ravens the past few years to, you know, our good buddies to the Northwest in Pittsburgh. I mean, you hear, you everyone knows all the stuff that's leaked out of that locker room. But yeah, I mean, the only thing that I can recall ever hearing that has left the Ravens locker room If you guys have seen anything, Bernard Pollard has leaked to the media. Yeah, I remember that. He has been very critical of Harbaugh post his time in Baltimore. But you really don't hear any current or former Ravens players even acknowledging that noise or saying one way or the other, which I think shows that Harbaugh, with at least most of the players has instilled enough of a culture for them to realize that whatever was being spoken there doesn't really matter. (laughs) You know, they still have that bond and they're still following Harbaugh's plan.
2: Yeah. And I mean, how how do you take a guy like that away and move on to, to someone else? I mean, I feel like that would have been a sign from the organization to be like, well, we're hitting the reset button on a, on a couple of years because you know that if you have such a tight locker room, And a bunch of guys who are all committed into buying into the system, you rip that out, you put someone in their place. It's going to take more than a year, I think, to really commit to that loyalty, right? I mean, you're going to have a lot of guys going to be like, oh, you know, I wish we were still playing for Coach Harbaugh. Like, I I don't think the Ravens would have wanted to go through something like that.
0: Yeah, agree. And Harbaugh's been with the organization for a while. If you look back to 2008 when he started – Uh, Now that Marvin Lewis and Mike McCarthy have been fired from their respective teams, the only other coaches that are still coaching the same team from 2008 are Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, and Sean Payton. And I mean, that's a pretty good group to be in. You've got all three of those guys are Super Bowl coaches, usually have their team in the postseason discussion, and arguably, Harbaugh's done it with having the worst quarterback situation of all four of those teams. As much as we love Joe Flacco, he's no Brady, Breeze, or Roethlisberger. So that also adds some more credence to Harbaugh's
1: case. I want to go back to that conversation we had about analytics. I like the fact that as the game has evolved, it seems like Harbaugh is willing to evolve. Back in 2008, we weren't going for nearly as many fourth downs. And... Last year, we were one of the best teams, actually the best team, when it came to fourth down conversions. And um, about time. <laughs> yeah. It's been proven by analytics that that's the way. <laughs> that's the way, man. That's the best way to get boost your win percentage. Teams are too conservative, just punting the ball away or kicking the field goal when it's fourth and one, for instance. You should be able to get one yard almost every time. And it's that acknowledgement. We can get some more downs. We can continue to make some uh, progress that I think actually might be contributing to our our success. Uh, uh, last year I thought was a turning point. Do you guys agree? To be honest, I'd have to look back on
0: what the Ravens, the plays the Ravens were drawing up post Flacco because I know that Flacco was having a lot of success with the QB sneak on fourth and one and even on plays where they did like a pitch out or play action, just the threat of that was enough to freeze the defense for a bit. Yeah, to be honest, I'm. Uh, you might need to jog my memory a bit on how the Ravens changed their approach on fourth and one when Lamar took over.
1: Oh, it's not so much a Lamar thing; it was just a last year thing, in my opinion. I just, I just remember one watching the games, not even having uh, the post analysis of oh they are actually really good on fourth down just watching it they were like more ballsy about it. they would go after it more often and uh and with success right very seldom did they go for it on fourth down and you're like oh why do they do that it was always very uh, clear i know the one thing you're thinking of <laughs> there was one instance where it wasn't the right call and, and even hardball said so after the game but
2: oh well no, i wasn't even thinking that actually I, the only thing i was going to say is that i, I feel like actually maybe this isn't consistent year to year, but I I do recall, you know, maybe 2014, 2015, basically before the Flacco injury in 2015, they were very aggressive. 2014 actually stands out to me where I feel like when we hit, maybe not a fourth down situation, but we hit like a lot of third and long sort of situations, we would, we'd go for it. I mean, we would, you know we'd be calling up like deep passes on on third and long and john and, and joe are just like you know we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna complete this like you know we're, we're going for it all right um i mean you can kind of see that from the uh the shootout in the divisional game against the the patriots man we were just it, it felt like that game that like joe was just like absolutely on fire hitting everything and i i think I think they've shown that mentality before. I don't think this is. I don't think this year was kind of like a completely new or a complete change. I think they've had it. Maybe they haven't had the same success. And obviously, you know, whatever the metrics say, that's what happened. But uh, I, I feel like it, it's it's been coming. But maybe we've either just noticed it more this year, or I, I don't know. <laughs>
0: I'm going to go with noticed it more last year. I just sent you guys a link at the bottom of the document. And actually, it looks like the Ravens have generally finished in the top 10 as far as fourth down conversion percentage. Last year, Ravens, this site says, this is on teamrankings.com for those of you listening. Ravens were eighth last year, 2017. They were fifth. Twenty sixteen I do remember this was that twenty sixteen they were particularly bad. I remember that being a talking point among a lot of fans. Twenty sixth. But then go to twenty fourteen, they're back at fifth again. Twenty fifteen we can skip because we know that was a dumpster fire.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Twenty thirteen wasn't particularly good either. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the further you get away from that, I think the the lower you'll see them here. Twenty twelve, they were pretty low. Yeah. Twenty eleven they kinda middle the pack. So,
0: yeah, it's actually, it seems like since 2014, if you exclude 2015 and 16, the Ravens have actually been on on an uptick as far as fourth down percentage.
1: Percentage is one thing. It's also just opportunities. Unfortunately, this site does not show that. I'm curious that they just went for it a lot more last year, too. But maybe I'm an error.
0: Yeah, that's true. This data just shows straight up percentage, doesn't give you anything about situation or...
2: Right. And I mean, I think too with with Lamar, right? I mean, you're going to get somebody with his skill set. You're going to get different opportunities, different looks and and different ways you can kind of attack the defense on fourth and short. Post-injury Flacco, you're not going to have that much flexibility. At least I I think there's that aspect to it as well.
0: So we've said a bunch of great things about John Harbaugh and I think he's deserved all of them. I will say that I think there are a couple things that the Ravens would like to see improvement with under Harbaugh and Ravens fans in general. One thing the Ravens I have noted here in the notes that fans have always seemed to struggle under Harbaugh, road wins. I looked back at the stats, and I know I knew the Ravens have always had difficulty winning on the road in the regular season. Playoffs, they have no problem with it. But in the regular season... Mm-hmm under Harbaugh the Ravens only have two seasons where they had a winning record on the road 2008 and 2010 and both of that was only five and three
1: isn't that wild it
0: it is crazy crazy.
1: (laughs) they make it so difficult for themselves
2: yeah (laughs) I mean it 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 is it is and it isn't though I mean if you go Aiden if you go what was it Ray said if you go win at home split on the road that's 12 and 4 that's a good season Right. I mean, you don't even have to have a winning record on the road, man. Four and four. And you're still 12 and four. That's a good team. (laughs) That's assuming you're just rock solid at home,
1: which they are. They're very, very good at home. I like to think it's ours.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Interestingly, I'm looking at the home and away splits for teams last year on ESPN.com. Patriots took that exact road that you just said there, Chris, they've, Perfect at home, three and five away. (laughs) But yeah, you're you're not seeing too many teams with a winning much better than five and three away. The Chargers were seven and one. I mean, basically every one of their games is an away game anyway. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) New Orleans, surprisingly, a dome team, seven and one last year. Rams, six and two. But yeah, I mean, that's just looking at last year, but winning records on the road, even for the quote unquote elite teams, can be hard to come by. So, we'd love to see Harbaugh improve on that, but also part of that is just the nature of the game. So,
1: one thing I wanted to bring up, I think it's been getting better, but man, I remember for years talking about the horrible clock management of John Harbaugh. Yes. Oh my goodness. You'd be yelling from home, time out! Time out! Or, like, hurry! <laughs> you know? <laughs> Spike it! Do something! Rush to the line, Do man. something!
0: I remember explicitly that game in 2015 in San Francisco- or like they had a minute and 40. Oh. And they're just like walking like they're like, you know, going through the mall, look scrolling their phones down the field.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was brutal sometimes. It was like no awareness of the clock whatsoever. It was like yeah. they were up. It was like they were winning. <laughs>
0: and also just like really oddly conservative play calling late in games. I mean, we're going back to the Saints game last year, I remember the Ravens almost didn't get a chance to – to get that drive with the tying touchdown because they just they did a really conservative drive with like three minutes left really quick three and out gave the ball back to the Saints and I can give you other instances of that happening you know 2014 at home against the Chargers same thing um, I was at the a, a game in 2015 against the Jaguars they did the same thing and it's like
1: we see it at home how come they don't see it <laughs> I think one point that we have in the notes as well is the idea of the front-loaded success. So, the first five seasons, what we'll call the Ray Lewis years, uh, <laughs> he led the Ravens to the playoffs, and they. Uh, uh, what I think this is a great stat: they won at least one playoff uh, game each season, which is crazy. Three AFC championships, one Lombardi, but um, then they really fell off. They they struggled. They missed the playoffs three years in a row. And I feel like that's just an ebb and flow of a team. Those were definitely frustrating seasons to watch.
0: Ravens fans are spoiled.
1: They were always so close. Yeah. Oh, we're so spoiled. We're so spoiled. What kind of franchise comes onto the scene uh, just a little over 20 years ago and has the kind of success that we had? That's great. I yeah. mean... And we're, gonna, we're about to be right back into it, anyway, guys. Right back into it. 2019. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Arguably, you know, Carolina Panthers, Jacksonville Jaguars, Houston Texans have a similar amount of seasons under their belt as the Ravens. Ravens are def- are definitely leading the, the pack of those four as far as oh, yeah. overall success. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, I think it's good for a fan base to be impatient. I mean, it it puts emphasis on the front office to not get comfortable with the state the team's in to really make hard decisions like it looks like DaCosta's doing with revamping the roster and looking at new avenues such as analytics and some of these new offensive styles that other teams are implementing, such as this every position quarterback. I mean, you know, I know we talked about in the draft recap that we're not Buying into that, but you never know. The Ravens are going to try that out and see if there's anything there or not. But yeah, I think the Ravens are aware that the past second half of Harbaugh's career hasn't been as successful and are at least being active in making moves to correct that for the upcoming seasons.
2: I think the... The other thing to keep in mind, too, and this is not just with football, but I think this is advice that's kind of you know generally applied in in business, I think. The sign of, of good, stable organizations is not turnover every few years, right? <laughs> Which is what a lot of NFL teams do. They bring in a new head coach, the new guy, they let him go for maybe a year, two, maybe three, and then you know they might see one winning season out that at best right but then if they don't get if you know if they don't get instant success or they don't get sustained success then the coach is gone they bring in someone else entirely new staff right that's that's not how you that's not how you lead a, a stable organization you know one sign of, of a good organization is like employee development you know player development coaching development right people that can learn have an opportunity to you know, do what they do best and learn and grow and hopefully move on to bigger, better things. You know, that's one sign. You know, I think the other sign, Peter, you just said it, of of taking a hard look at yourself and figuring out, you know, where you can improve, having that sort of retrospective culture of, you know, we did okay, but we're not comfortable with this. We know that we can improve. We can do X, Y, and Z and, you know, hopefully that moves the ball forward on something else, right? I to me It's a, it's a no brainer. That's, that's a, that would be an organization that I personally wouldn't want to be involved with. And as a fan seeing that, that's, it's pretty good for me. You know, it it makes me feel like the, as a fan of this organization that those guys know what they're doing. They're not, they're not in a uh, situation that they don't know how to control. Right. Well, how many times we've seen wasted time from
1: organizations. They draft a quarterback, for instance, the next year, there's going to be a new guy. The quarterback isn't the one that they wanted. Maybe they gave that quarterback another year or two, then they go in the next one. Or even like Arizona, they're <laughs> just back to back years drafts a quarterback, it's going to be great.
2: Yeah, that was crazy. It, you don't you don't it, see that uh, stuff that like often, that. but it's yeah.
1: Well, it was a uh, what was the other one? I, I, there was another coaching change. I, maybe you guys can help me out here where they had a high-ranked quarterback, you know, high draft pick, and they just abandoned him. It wasn't their guy.
2: Was that the EJ e. Manuel on the Bills? That was one I kind of remember. Was that him?
0: They gave, yeah, they gave him a few years. But I mean, Cleveland also—they moved on from Deshaun Kaiser <laughs> well, in a their just, hot second.
2: Yeah, I traded him yeah. after a year. You know, uh, Whedon got maybe a year or two. I mean, that was a well, that was a crazy draft pick, regardless. Pick.
1: <laughs> so I forget who dug up these stats, but they're too good to not talk about the best teams our record against the best teams.
0: Yeah, so I painstakingly did this by hand because this was apparently too narrow of a stat to really dig up. But yeah, it's another thing to talk about. I'll preface this stat with, this is a bit of an interesting anomaly. So the Ravens under Harbaugh, his record in the postseason when you're playing the best teams is 10-6, and six, which is even more impressive when you consider the fact that only three games, uh, only three of games that Harbaugh has coached the Ravens in the postseason have been at M&T Bank Stadium. The other thirteen have been on the road, where the Ravens are eight and five. Very, very impressive postseason record.
2: Yeah, especially given the stats we just brought out about our road record in the regular season.
0: Correct. Yeah, but it's not just the road record. This is, I know this is something. Going back to last year, I was I was just getting a little impatient with the Ravens at times because I couldn't remember the last time that the Ravens had a victory against a team that wasn't Pittsburgh where you were just like, yeah, that was a really good win against a really top quality team. And if you look at... So the Ravens post-Super Bowl against teams that made the postseason that same year, there's some room for improvement. 2013, they were one in four... 2014 two and four, 2015 two and six, 2016 two and four, 2017 I had to double check this, but they didn't beat any teams that qualified for the postseason. And then last year they were one and two. But what I found surprising when looking at these numbers was was prior to winning the Super Bowl, the numbers under Harbaugh are pretty similar as well. 2008 they were two and five. 2009, 1-6. and six. 2010, 2-4. Two 2011, the year of the lost Super Bowl, is an anomaly. They were 6-0 and o against teams that made the postseason <laughs> that year. <laughs> wow. Uh, just, just stumbled against teams like the uh, Matt Hasselbeck-led Tennessee Titans and Tavares Jackson Seahawks. Oh, right. And then even 2012, 2-4 two against playoff teams in the regular season, which, again, is a very bizarre stat with how competitive the Ravens are once they get into the postseason. Even the even the games they lose, they're close games. Like last, last year, you can argue that the Chargers let up or not. It still stands the fact that they mounted a comeback and they had a chance at the end there to win that game. But yeah, we're, we're talking about also things that the Ravens, you know, front office, Harbaugh are looking at that the Ravens can improve on. It'd be really interesting to know what they're looking at is what, what's going on in those games that are causing the Ravens to kind of underperform
1: of what they're capable of. I mean, I guess it's just hard to beat playoff teams. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things where you'd be surprised if they were better than 50-50. The good teams are good, and unless you're particularly great, you're going to have some trouble. But I will say, we notice this as fans right? like We've talked about this before. This isn't the first time we've discussed the fact that it seemed like the Ravens weren't beating the good teams. We'd always compete, but we weren't beating them. And I don't, we didn't do this painstaking labor for all the teams in the NFL. I imagine it's not too dissimilar. But I bet you there are some teams that are a little bit more consistent against the top teams.
0: Yeah, I'd be, like I said, I was disappointed that I couldn't Google well enough to find someone who's already looked this up because I'd love to compare these numbers to what New England and and Pittsburgh, what are their records in under the same category? But we just have the Ravens right here. And yeah, it's tough to win against the top talent. But I think when it comes to the Ravens and, and this, if you look at the past couple of years and you think about some of these games against the top teams... You think about last year's game against Kansas City where Mm, Mahomes mm. needed that miracle, stupendous play to get the Chiefs into an easy touchdown. And then 2016 against the Steelers where Antonio Brown just had a tiny bit more left in the tank than Mosley and Weddle to push himself into the end zone. I mean, it just comes down to, I think, just finishing those games a lot of times and at that point it's it's really a toss-up it's just down to clock management like Alec was talking about earlier how how the coaches are conditioning the players and sometimes just luck sometimes the teams are just too evenly matched
2: for what it's worth I mean I would rather have this problem of struggling against some of the better teams you know and, and you know, although, I mean, I'd be good at the time losing in sort of a heartbreak fashion than doing sort of the classic Steelers uh, fault, which is losing to poor teams in bad situations. Right. That is true. Although it is always fun when that happens. Right.
1: I think one thing I wanted to dig into before we end this topic is this whole idea of now that Billick is getting inducted into the Ring of Honor, he had a tough last three seasons as well and kind of just chatting about his last seasons versus Harbaugh's last three seasons. What what do we think was the difference that kind of led to Harbaugh getting to stick around and Billick being told uh, sayonara? One thing that comes to mind to me is something brought up earlier,
0: locker room culture. I remember exactly around that time, mm-hmm. 2007, multiple reports had leaked that of the player's kind of quitting on Billick just he lost control of the locker room which was as a result of him giving the veteran players too much leeway to kind of police themselves in their
1: own way and he made the defense the the focal point they were the the kings and everyone knew it yes which i i heard Harbaugh fought really hard against at the beginning and it, it was not easy
0: he did i don't have any of my any sources up to confirm this but i have read some articles about Harbaugh's start with the Ravens and from what I remember everyone on the team had to prove themselves to him and that included the the big deal vets like Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Todd Heap. Harbaugh apparently went up to players and said like I've heard great things about you I gotta see it you gotta prove to me who you are and kind of a different effort than what was reported with Billick where you know, he was just letting the veterans police themselves, which didn't go as well in two of those years.
2: <laughs> right. I, I think actually if you uh if you listen to the uh Man of the Crowd podcast from from Absolutely. the the Ravens, yeah. That yep. that was the they had a really good I think it was a two part episode where they went into all that backstory. Definitely uh <laughs> A great great podcast, but I'm I'm sure most Ravens fans have probably already heard it. But if you haven't, go check it out. Do we want to move on to uh to Mr. Cook?
0: Yeah, so I think another interesting subtopic that's come out of this discussion is you know, we've we looked at Harbaugh, we've kind of looked at reasons why it's a good idea for the Ravens to keep, to give him a few more seasons because of the track record that he has and it's kind of ties into the article we teased last week about looking at Sam Cook and whether or not it's time for the Ravens to move on from him is kind of this discussion of when do you know with players with coaches front office people in an NFL organization of when it's just a smart time to move on. And this article gives a couple interesting stats to look at that kind of show that Cook is slowing down a bit and it might be a good time for the Ravens to consider a replacement, which they already have on the, in their uh, practices right now in Kerry Vedvik this is probably going to seem really obvious, but I hadn't realized that cook is quite as old as he is. I mean, I know
1: he's been on the team forever, but I didn't realize that he was 37, man. (laughs) Yeah. I actually had a similar gut feeling. I was like, I know. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, he's been around for almost as long as I can remember, but he is. (laughs) Yeah. 37. That's crazy. I guess when you're just sitting back there holding kicks and, pun things away you can have a very good longevity and gotta give a shout out to the man for that brilliant super bowl scramble what a guy our hero oh, man the true mvp <laughs> great play great play when they Heads did it i was so proud so proud very smart but so I, I gave this some thought because i'm all about value and earned value and understanding we're paying three million dollars for a guy like what are you getting out of it and as we've discussed, Sam Cook has revolutionized the game of punting. He has what eighteen punts in his back pocket. I'll have to pull that video for the show notes. But
0: great, great video somewhere in NFL.com's archives for anyone listening. Sam Cook describing different types of of trick punts he has up his sleeve. It's not all just just drop kicks. They they put a lot of thought into this. Very interesting video.
1: But everyone in the league is doing that now. Um, I was actually reading the athletic this morning and there's a big focus now that your punt returner just needs to make good decisions catch the ball (laughs) not cause problems because these punters are getting really good at having basically unreturnable kicks so as discussed cook is holding about three million dollar figure against our cap and my my take is you don't you get rid of cook you get three million dollars back what can you do with the $3 million? You're not going to sign that inside linebacker that's going to save the game. You're not going to be getting the game-breaking wide receiver. The only thing you can really be doing is maybe upgrading a few guys or being a little bit more competitive in free agency talks with a guy. <sighs> is that worth getting rid of the cohesion of the wolf pack? Is that worth this flyer on Vedvik? Ah,
2: I don't know. Yeah, it's especially hard to consider that too because... You know, I, I can see making this decision at the end of training camp at the end of preseason where you see you have a little bit more tape on Vedvik and you see what it can do. You see what it can do in more game situations. Um, that makes sense. But you can't use the that $3 million at that point, right? Be- because you know that the only people available are going to be camp cuts. And, you know, like you said, Alec, are you really going to find those game changing players at that time if you're... If you're really good, you know if you're a really good team, you know you might be able to find one or two of them, but it's it's really really hard you, It would be a lot better to have that money beginning a free agency when three million could be the difference between landing a blue chip player or, or you know or, or not right and mm-hmm. it, it was to make that decision that early on it, i don't it just wouldn't have made any sense to me,
0: yeah, I agree with what you guys are saying. it's really not that big of a contract and You've got a excellent special teams with Tucker and Cook. I don't really know if you want to mess with that, especially considering how important special teams is when you have are going to do a, a rush oriented offense. And I know we're looking at this from the from the perception of the punter. You know, punters matter, but compared to other positions, eh, not as much. Of just like uh, looking at a smooth transition between veterans when it is finally time for someone like Cook or Yonda, another guy who's could retire at a lot earlier than
1: most on the roster (laughs) and how you prepare for that. Well, cool guys. I was glad that we had that conversation about Sam. It doesn't seem like any of us are going for his head to wrap up. We're going to talk next week about, well, two weeks from now about underrated Ravens. Got to pick our, pick our favorite sleepers. We would love for some listener feedback. So if you listen to this episode and you have an underrated raven you want us to cover, feel free to send it to us. Leave a comment on this post. Or just... Uh, we, we should be able to get an email, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to realize. <laughs> <laughs> Might be useful. How about email feedback at ravensrecap.com? We'll make that an email. All right. All right. Sounds good to me. We, uh, do we have any kind of like uh bazinga closer this is this is usually your 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 thing peter
2: caca <laughs>